Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. So the people of God lived in Egypt for over 400 years. They were slaves. They had the government doing everything for them and the government forcing them to do what they wanted them to do. If, if you've been to Egypt and you've seen these massive monuments of the, the pyramids, the Sphinx, etc., uh, that all was built by slave labor, among whom were the Hebrew people. And yet, when they're living in that way, they're living with, over a period of time, a sense of entitlement that those who are in charge are going to take care of me. And so now they're out in the wilderness. God has divided the waters, and they are, they are free. They're on their own for the first time. They're not slaves anymore. Well, what do they do? They get on the far side, they start moving ahead, they start complaining. They're griping to Moses. There's not enough food. There's not enough water. And, and so Moses prays to God, and God sends quail, flocks of quail, and, and there's this stuff called manna that God says he's going to rain down from heaven. They actually think that this might be... Um, locust droppings from uh, <laughs> from yeah and so they they went out and they're complaining about the food it's just like you know mom only can do so many casseroles with manna and and quail i mean we're getting tired of this so they're complaining to moses moses fix it then the amalekites attack and so they're at war and once again they're complaining they want to go back to egypt Better to go back to the flesh pots of Egypt than die out here in the wilderness where it's so hot and miserable. And what they don't see yet is that they are free. That there's not someone else who's responsible for their lives. They are responsible for their lives. They are now able to make choices for themselves and in some ways become uh, experience the consequences of their own choice and, and defining for themselves to some degree their own destiny. So Moses is giving them a vision. And that is that they're moving toward a land flowing with milk and honey, whatever that means. But it's a vision that even children can repeat. We're going to the land flowing with milk and honey. But rather than going to that which was the land of promise, many wanted to go back to the land of slavery. Because in an odd sense, it was easier to be a slave than to be free. And so into this context, the Lord God gave to the people guidelines for life so that they would understand what it takes to be 
a free people. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the 20th chapter of Exodus. And God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any, other, of any kind or an image of anything in heaven or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The, the entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by, by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. The seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest and dedication to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. This is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and mother. Then you will live long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must, must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. When the Lord, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. God added his understanding to this hearing of his word. So I'm on a committee at the hospital. And it's a committee of all of these medical types, but they need someone from the community. And so I go into this committee, it's called the IRB committee, and we review different new procedures and, and protocols for, for various treatments. And I've been on this thing for a few years now, and, um, and so I got there a little early, and they always provide some lunch. So you have salads and sandwiches and chips. And so I grabbed a sandwich, ham, and two bags of chips, a bag of regular potato chips and some Cheetos. In comes Alan Weiss, the CEO of the hospital, wonderful man. He sits down and he just has a brief presentation to make to us about the Blue Zone Project. And tipping his hat to me, he says, people who are involved in a worshiping congregation live seven to 14 years longer than other people, on average. And I thought, this was wonderful. And then he started talking about diet. <laughs> he wasn't eating anything, but the guy next to him was eating a salad. 
And um, others at the table were eating salad, and I'm sitting there eating Cheetos. <laughs> and then he handed out a flyer talking about how disease, 80% of disease is self-caused by things like diet. I felt so judged. <laughs> I, I love Cheetos, but I hated having Cheetos at a time like that. And, and so it is that, that that sense of being judged, even though this is a small thing and a small example, actually gives us a sense that we perceive reality. We understand something beyond ourselves. There's a reality beyond our own bellies, beyond our own desires, beyond our own tastes. And we live in a time when so many people just don't want to be judged. Well, fine. The church has been so criticized for laying judgment upon people, but the reality is that's not our business. We're in the forgiveness business. And we, we all have plenty to feel guilty about. And so what we are here for is not to inflict people with guilt, but to lure people, woo people into the very presence of the Lord who offers forgiveness. And, and yet, if we don't have some pinch of conscience for several things in our lives, we are lost. And, and when we don't have a, a sense of, of that which is appropriate beyond ourselves, we're lost. When God gives the commandments, he is, saying, <clears throat> he is saying to us, now that you are a free people, you are responsible. With your freedom, freedom entails that you act responsibly. And so here are, here are my laws. Here are my laws so that you might have a sense of how this life is best lived so that you stay free. So that your freedom is embedded within you. And so that you live always as a free people. So the laws are given to a people who thought that someone else was going to be responsible for their lives that someone else would take care of them. And here, the Lord says, no, you are, each of you are responsible. And this is a word from God to us. This is a word, we have someone at the door. We'll pause for a moment. <laughs> So this is a word from God. It's not an ethic that is made up. These aren't rules and regulations that just come out of come out of the air or where there's generally a consensus. Let's face it. 
If there is no God, then all morals, all ethics are human constructs and therefore malleable. They can be in constant flux and change. And when we cut God out of the equation, when we say there is no God, then there, there is no real morality. There are no sustained ethics. And how we have seen this in so many ways all over our world. When I was at UC Santa Barbara, in my second year, I took a particular sociology class. This is the early 70s. And the professor got up there with a Bible, and he threw it on the ground and stomped on it. And he said, now, if this offends you, you can leave now. Well, I didn't leave. I stayed, and I listened to his lectures. And I remember how stunned I was that he was praising Chairman Mao of China. And he was lifting up Mao as some sort of a great example. And, and he was also talking about housing projects in Russia and, and praising these, these projects. Well, what I knew at the time was that Mao was responsible for millions of deaths. And then in 1990, I had an opportunity to actually see the housing projects in St. Petersburg, Russia, and see what, what the Stalinist worldview, what the dictatorships of Russia had accomplished. And this magnificent, beautiful city had been turned into administrative offices. Beautiful homes had been turned into bread shops, bakeries. And then I saw the south side of Chicago. It looked like St. Petersburg, Russia. And I thought, this is crazy. This is nuts. How is it that we lose sight of that which is real and true and substantive? How is it that we make it up for ourselves? And we're going to define right and wrong by giving a pass to such people as Mao or Stalin. Makes no sense. Instead, we are given a law by God. A law that affirms all people and that is a law for all people. God who created us now redeems us. And in his creative love for us, he has actually gone about the redemption process essentially in the same way, where he, he divides the waters, even as he did in the acts of creation, where he divides the waters above from the waters below. And he now creates the distinction between right and wrong. He divides the moral universe in a way that says to us, come, enter in to what freedom looks like. What freedom is, is by, by living in an, in, an open, in an open world where opportunities are there for you, but you must live 
and pursue those opportunities in a way that affirms your dignity and affirms who you are created in my image. So these laws, now they may seem onerous at times, but we know because we have the law, we know when we are wrong. And you certainly don't need, none of us need some preacher to tell us. Our heart knows. Our heart testifies when we have wronged another person. So the law is given so that we might stay free and so that our whole society might be free. So that we might not do those things that break community, but that we might together participate in those activities that build community and affirm community. And if you look at the 19th chapter of Leviticus, I mean, who reads Leviticus? But if you make your way to the 19th chapter, you see it fleshed out a little bit more. And what does it boil down to? It boils down to some fine, full affirmations. Love God. Love one another. Love the foreigner. Even as Jesus says, love the enemy. And then this gets fleshed out even further. Because the the first century, century Phariseeism was such that they were so intent upon defining what was right and wrong that people were living in, in, a, in a sense, a new form of bondage. A new form of bondage to others' definitions of right and wrong for them. So they couldn't do certain things on a, on a Saturday. They couldn't do certain things in their life. And yet Jesus, when he spoke to them, speaking to the Pharisees who were so intent upon their defining what is right and wrong, said to them, So, it says you don't murder. Why are you hating people? It says you don't commit adultery. Why are you dehumanizing women in the way you look at them and treat them? It says, love your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Take it a step further. Even your enemies may only be enemies for a brief period of time. What about loving them and praying for those who persecute you? So the law becomes something that is far more than just those things that are written. We cannot write enough down to define what is necessary for for us to live and for a culture to survive. We can't write it all down. And so we have to operate under that sense of, of calling that is about loving God, loving one another, loving our neighbors, loving others, and allow for that pinch of conscience to correct us when we're wrong. Otherwise, we have complete chaos. And it is all based on the opening commandments 
about affirming who God is. Tim Keller clarifies it in this way. He says, We will either worship God, as the opening commandments instruct, or other things. We cannot eliminate God without creating God substitutes. Something will capture our hearts and imaginations and be the most important things to us. Our ultimate concern, value, and allegiance. So every personality, community, and thought form will be based either on God himself or some God substitute, an idol. This means that idolatry is ultimately the reason for all wrongdoing. Why do we ever lie or steal or covenant or covet? Of course, the general answer is, well, because we're weak and sinful. But the specific answer is always because there is something besides God that we feel we must have to be happy. So we lie to get it. Something that is more important to our hearts than God. Something that is enslaving our hearts through inordinate desires. All our failures to trust God wholly or to live rightly are rooted in idolatry. Something we make more important than God. And so we, while we are not defined by the law, while we are not reliant upon the law, the fact is we all know that there's nothing we can do to fulfill the law. And the Apostle Paul teaches us the law was never given so that we might be saved by it or through it. The reality is the law is incapable of saving us as we are incapable of saving ourselves. But instead, to embrace the law, to embrace it, say yes, because I've had murderous kinds of thoughts for one particular guy who lives up in Northport and who's the executive presbyter of this presbytery <laughs> because I would love to duke it out with him, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And I need to put that sin before the Lord. So in embracing the law, I'm free from that guy. I'm free, and I stay free, rather than going back and acting like I used to in Egypt. Living in freedom means embracing the law. And embracing the law is embracing God. Embracing God is embracing our Savior Christ. Way back in the 40s, the Walenda family, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but the Walendas were high R still to this day, the family. High wire walkers and these wild, crazy things that they do on the, on the uh, tightrope wire. And back in the 40s, they were performing and, and a stunned, amazed little boy, after the show was over, went up to one of the Walendas and, and said, that is amazing. What you do is just so incredible. I love it. I love it. I love it. 
And I forget which one it was, but he said, he said to this little boy, about a 10-year-old boy, he said, let me ask you something. Do you really believe that I can get on this little unicycle and ride across the tightrope wire? And the little boy said, oh, yes, yes, I do. I believe that you can. And he said, I tell you what, come up here, get on my back, and we'll go across. <laughs> Jesus calls upon us to embrace him, to hold on to him, and to know the stunning, overwhelming reality of what it means to be truly free. Not denying law. Not somehow saying that I'm okay, you're okay, and that there are no ultimate standards to our lives because there are. But instead that we, we embrace our Lord and we ride through this life relying upon His forgiving love for us. Will you join me in prayer? And, oh Lord, it can be a, a frightening ride, this life of faith. Sometimes it's just easier to step off and live a life on our own, doing what we want, doing what we feel. And yet you have called us to live this life and that this life is to be a thrill and a joy and that we are to be transformed because of your love for us. May it be, O oh Lord, in each of us. We ask it in the name of your Son who redeems us. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.